So I have a question for you tonight. Who are you? Last year, while checking in bags in the Fort Myers airport, the lady behind the bag check-in counter, she asked to see my ID. She wanted to know that I am who I said I am. So she looked at my license. She looked at me. It's got a picture of me on it. It's not like from 20 years ago when, you know, I had really long hair and, and a big fluffy beard and lots of muscles. It's not really how I looked, but she looked at me. She looked at my license. Yeah, that is me there on my license. And then she looks at my boarding pass, and she looks at my license again, and she says, what is your name, sir? I said, my name is Dave Crichton. And she says in a rather snarky, cranky kind of a way, no, sir, you are David Crichton. Okay, now I'm, now I'm getting cranky. Right, that's me. She says, sir, this boarding pass is for Dave Crichton, but according to your identification, you are David Crichton. Wait, what? I mean, like, I'm, I'm trying to process this, standing at the, the counter, and now she's got me confused. Now, I'm beginning to wonder if I'm the right guy getting on the plane. Am I the guy who's supposed to be getting on this flight? I'm having this identity crisis right there at the Southwest counter with the, 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 the baggage check-in lady uh, at the Fort Myers airport. And suddenly, I feel like one of those international spies. You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking like Tom Cruise... Uh, no, Ethan Hunt, is that his name, right? I mean, some secret identity, you know, I'm checking in, I'm, I'm going to be jet-setting across the world, and I'm going to fight, you know, some, some crime somewhere. I'm going to chase down some bad guys, and I've just been ID'd by the Southwest bag check-in counter lady. She's on to me. She knows who I really am at this point. She knows my true identity. And I, my reply to her is, ma'am, I always travel as Dave Crichton. And she said, not today, you won't. Now, look, I'm not, I can't tell you what happened next. You may or may not have to go see the next Mission Impossible movie uh, to get the details. But I'll tell you this, a little spoiler alert here for those Mission Impossible fans. I'm going to tell you, I got on that flight. I got past her, I got past the three TSA guards, I got past the, the, the gate, you know, personnel that were checking things on the way onto the plane, and, and I'm walking on the plane, and you know how the, the, the stewardesses, they're all there, right, and they're, the, the pilots sometimes stand there, and they're greeting you as you get on, your pla on the plane, and I'm just thinking, oh, if they really knew who I am. So I go all the way to the back of the plane, I find my seat, I plop down in my seat, and then I just have this full-blown identity crisis. I don't even know who I am anymore. Is Tom and Ginny Crichton, are they really my parents? Uh, my siblings, are they really my siblings? Can I, I mean, I know that they're weird. I always thought that I didn't quite fit in. Maybe this is why. Was I raised by wolves? How is my wife going to take this? I mean, I'm going to go home. I'm going to have to look at my marriage license. Who did she marry? And, and if, she didn't, if she didn't marry me, I mean, who are these kids and who's their father? You know, I mean, do they really know who I am? 
do I really know who I am? Thanks to the Southwest bag check-in counter lady. And after that experience, I, I had this thought. I think that we should start checking IDs on the way into church. Because I have a feeling that some of you aren't really who you say you are. Especially with all the Daves in the room. You know what I mean? We got a couple Daves in the room. Are they really who they say they are? I'm very suspicious. So my question for you is, who are you really? Who are you really? Now, I don't want to confuse you tonight, but did you know that God says if you are a Christian, if you have been born again, did you know that God says that you have a new identity? Let's read tonight's text. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 14. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. In verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, and see, behold, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. See, I believe that it is absolutely essential for us as believers to know exactly who we are, to understand what our identity actually is in Christ. As a believer, who are we? What is our true identity as a follower of Jesus Christ? And the Bible helps us develop a vital, correct sense of who we are as Christians, as Jesus' people, who we are in Christ. And tonight, we're going to look at the simple truth that in Christ, I am a new creation. Say that with me. In Christ, I am a new creation. You see, Christians aren't just nice people. Now, we should be nice people. Uh, not all Christians are very nice. To be honest, sometimes I'm not very nice. And, you know, I call myself a Christian. It's not that Christians are nice people. The Bible says that Christians are absolutely new creations. Did you know that when a person is brought into the military, and some of you have this background, so you know what this is like, but there's this extensive process that begins to change his or her way of thinking about themselves. And so immediately they're stripped of their civilian clothes and, and they're given a uniform. And that uniform is consistent with their new identity, right? And so they learn to view leadership, uh, relationships, right? They, they, they have a, a, a particular rank, a particular order, a particular way of saluting, all these different protocols that, that they learn. And so they go through boot camp. Some of you have been through boot camp, and that whole experience is designed 
to transform the mind of that man or woman so that they live, eat, and breathe military. Let me read this quote from the U.S. Army basic training website. It says, basic combat training is a training course that transforms civilians into soldiers. Over the course of 10 weeks, these recruits learn about the seven core army values, how to work together as a team, and what it takes to succeed as a soldier in the U.S. Army. So the first thing they learn is the seven core army values, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. Why? So that when they get out on the battlefield, these values, their identity as a soldier, knowing who they are and why they're doing what they're doing, why they are where they are, why they are going to make specific decisions that they have been trained to make, why all of that fits together, they are trained so that when they get out there on the battlefield, they know who they are and what their mission is is. You see, the army understands that it is important for us, it's important for soldiers to embrace this new identity. It's absolutely essential if they're going to be successful in the battle. Why is that? Because the way we view ourselves is a powerful factor in how we behave, how we live our lives. There's nothing more influential in shaping our actions than our self-image, who we think we are. A person who sees himself as capable will act confidently. A person who sees himself as weak and unable is likely to refuse to try. In our spiritual experience, the same is true. Our image of who we are plays a significant role. So it's absolutely imperative that we understand our identity in Christ. Here's what happens when we understand it properly. First of all, it fortifies us in temptation. When I'm tempted to live like I did before Christ, I am reminded, I, when I understand who I am and the temptation is to go back and live the old way, it fortifies me, it helps me in that moment of temptation. It frees me, it frees us from that bondage of those old frustrations and inabilities and that old nature. I think it also, when we understand and embrace our true identity in Christ, it also opens us up to the flow of the grace of God in our life, divine enablement, the Holy Spirit that, that lives and abides within us, who empowers us to live for God and to do effective ministry. When we understand who we are in Christ, boy, it opens us up opens us up to the flow of that grace in our life. And I think the third thing it does is it stabilizes our soul. It stabilizes our walk with God when I know who I am in Christ. Why? Because I'm not tossed to and fro by my emotions. It doesn't matter how I feel. Do you ever wake up someday and not feel very much like a Christian? Do you ever wake up one day and not feel very much like a child of God or a new creation, right? Uh, we're getting older, so... Man, feeling like a new creation, whoo, what is that exactly? If we go by how we feel, if we go by our emotions, man, we're going to be all over the map. You see, when we understand who we are in Christ, it stabilizes our soul. It stabilizes our walk with Christ. And it doesn't, my, my uh, walk with God, it doesn't depend on today's performance, it doesn't depend on, you know, if I'm having a good day or a bad day. I know who I am in Christ. 
And so, could it be that sometimes we, strug- we struggle and we languish spiritually simply because we fail to grasp the far-reaching and spiritually radical implications of being a new creation? What it means to be in Christ a new creation. I, I believe so. And so tonight, let's fix that. Let's know who we are in Christ. And tonight we look at this matter of being a new creation. All right, so what does it mean? What does it mean to be a new creation? I'll give you a couple ideas here. I encourage you to write them down, or you can go to lifepath.church, click on the first link, the notes are there, all right? So number one, what does it mean to be a new creation? Well, first of all, it means a new position, a new position. And we don't have the time to read the entire chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but we're going to bounce around it a little bit. We're going to draw from these truths from this chapter. We'll look at a couple other scriptures at well that support this. But as new creations in Christ, we have a new position. First of all, that includes we are, that we are positioned in a new relationship. In Christ. Amen? A new relationship. Paul says in verse 18, we have been reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. This is where it all starts. This is where it all begins. Because as one who has been made a new creation in Christ, We have to recognize that before we were saved, before our salvation, who we were, what our relationship to God was. Because the Bible reveals to us that we, we, when we became a new creation, we were reconciled to God. That means before we were saved, we were an enemy of God. We were a stranger to God. There was hostility between us and God, why? Because of our sin. All God ever wanted of, with his creations is a loving relationship, right? I mean, yes, he, want, he wants us as his creations to bring him glory, but what God wants from us, he wants a relationship with us, and sin ruined that creation. And so God sent his son, Christ, Jesus Christ, to, to come into this world to pay the debt of our sin. Why? So that our relationship with God could be restored. So listen, if you don't hear another word that I speak tonight, if you're a Jesus follower, I want you to know this. It is not, being a Jesus follower is not simply about attending a Saturday night gathering. It's not about, for that matter, attending a Sunday morning gathering. It's not what it is all about. It is all about growing in a loving, dependent relationship with the one who made us a new creation. That is what it's all about. And as a new creation, we have been positioned, we have this position in a relationship with God. The maker of all things, the creator of all things, the one who sits on the throne in heaven. We have a relationship with him. What does that mean? It means that we're never alone. It means that the one who made us, the one who made all things is our father. 
It means that God, the God of the universe, loves us and knows us personally and knows every one of our needs. He knows everything about us, uh, including the number of hairs on our head. I mean, God is mindful of us. He knows us, and there's, he knows everything there is about us, and he has all of these thoughts the psalmist said, man, I can't, I, if I tried to count all of your thoughts, I, we couldn't count all the thoughts that God has toward us. Realize something. That is what God established when he reconciled us to himself. We can know him. You can have a relationship with him, a, and you can grow in a deeper relationship with him. And so a new creation in Christ enjoys this and is nourished in this type of relationship, nourished through the word of God, nourished in prayer and nourished in fellowship with the Lord and in communion with the Holy Spirit. So we have a new relationship. We're positioned also in a new realm, in a new realm. In fact, if you look at the first five verses, I won't take the time to read them right now. If you, if you glance at the first five verses of chapter 5, you see that Paul talks about our heavenly dwelling. We'll look at that uh, in a minute. But did you know that as new creations in Christ, as far as God is concerned, we are already in heaven? Did you know that? If you want to turn in your Bible, in fact, the verse I think is here on the screen behind me. Well, it's not there. It's actually chapter 2 and verse 6. But Paul writes this to the Ephesians. He says that when we were made a new creation, we were raised with him and seated with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? It means that as far as God is concerned, we are positioned at his right hand. We are already there in the sense that we are with Christ. We are seated with Christ. Christ is there. He's at the right hand of the Father. And we are seated with him. You know, when you think about the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he's been exalted, and that he, there at the right hand of the Father, the Father has given him authority and power above all. He's exalted his name above any other name. And that all powers and authorities, be, be it uh, physical that we could see, or in the invisible world, in the, spiritual, in the spiritual realm, God has put all powers, all authorities under the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus is there and he's at the right hand of the Father, you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been made a new creation, you and I, we are there with him, with the one who has the power and authority over all, all powers and authorities. We are seated with him. What does that mean? Boy, it means that we can live a life of victory. We can live a, a life that is above the turmoils and the chaos and all the stuff that happens in this world and whatever's happening in the spiritual dimension of this world, that we, we can live above and beyond. It doesn't mean that we're not, we're not fighting with it. It doesn't mean that it's not worn against us, but it means that 
in Christ as a new creation, we have victory. We have power. We have authority because of Jesus Christ. His power is your power. His authority becomes your authority. His victory has become your victory because Jesus is the victor. He's the victor over sin. He's the victor over death. He's the victor over hell. And so what does that mean? It means you are too. That's what it means. And Paul says, and here's the verse on the screen, that in Christ, because we're seated there with him at the right hand of the Father, that we have all spiritual blessings. Can you let that sink in? Can you just chew on that for a while? Make a note about that and just meditate on that this week, that all spiritual blessings have been given to you as a new creation. Everything that you need to live a life of spiritual fruitfulness and victory is already yours because you are positioned in Christ as a new creation in Christ. All right, so, new position. New, a new creation also means, secondly, a new perspective. And Paul talks about this perspective in verse number 16. He, he contrasts, if you look at the verse there, he contrasts the perspective of the new creation with the, a worldly perspective. You realize how radically our viewpoint changed when we're saved. Becoming a new creation in Christ, it revolutionizes our, our, our entire outlook. Here's what we learn. As a new creation in Christ, we have, first of all, a new perspective of Christ. And this, Paul says this, if you look at verse 16, he says, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. What's Paul talking about here? Well, before Paul was saved... Paul didn't think of Jesus, he didn't think of Jesus as the Christ. In fact, the word that, that, it, that Paul uses here is the, the, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. Paul is saying, we know who Jesus is, we know he's the Christ, that he is the Messiah, but before we were made this new creation, we didn't see him that way. You remember what Paul's life was like before he became a believer, right? I mean, Paul was out there, and Paul was uh, attacking the church. Paul was trying to kill those, put those in prison who preached the name of Jesus. Paul thought that he was doing God a favor by attacking Jesus, the name of Jesus, and the followers of Jesus. Paul would have never thought that someone who is crucified could be the Messiah. But he had a new perspective on Jesus. And he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel of Jesus. There's a lot of different opinions of the true identity of Jesus, right? God ID'd Jesus at his baptism, and he said this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So listen, one way that you can identify a new creation, right? I'm not talking about a religious person. I'm not talking about, you know, 
a Bible read. I'm talking about the one way that you can identify a new creation in Christ is how they identify who Jesus is. Do they, see, do they view Jesus as a, a great man, as a great prophet, as a great teacher? You remember that when Jesus was on earth in his ministry, he asked his disciples one day, he said, who do people say that the Son of Man am? And, and you know, they really gave Jesus some accolades in that day. Well, some think that you're John the Baptist. Some think that you're Elijah. I mean, these were great men that, that the, the people of the day looked up to. They were seen as men of God. Elijah, the, the greatest Old Testament prophet by many standards, right? Others w said that Jesus was Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I mean, listen, they were highly elevating Jesus. They were lifting up Jesus above the, the Pharisees, above the religious people of the day. They were putting Jesus on a very high pedestal. But they didn't have Jesus ID'd right. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter got it right. You're the Messiah. This is the same word that, that Paul uses here. You're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You see, a new creation in Christ no longer knows Christ from a worldly perspective. A new creation in Christ knows Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, not only do we get a new perspective of Christ, but we also get a new perspective of others. If you look at back at verse number 16, Paul says this, from now on, then we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. We don't look at anybody. Our, our view of, of other people has changed. What is a worldly perspective of others? How do we tend to ID people? Don't we tend to ID people based on what we see, what we know about them, right? What we see they do, what we know they have, what they look like. We think in terms of position. We think in terms of status, occupation, possessions, abilities, notoriety, appearance, all of that, right? At times, we even view people as a means to an end, someone that can be exploited for our gain for our own self-esteem, for our own pleasure. But I believe what Paul is alluding to here is that once we become a new creation in Christ, our view not only of Christ has changed, but our view of other people has changed. Because now we see people through a different lens. Now we see people through the eyes of God. Now we see humans as having great value to God, even those who are lost and away from God and want nothing to do with God and, and perhaps hate God. But we know that God loves them and we know that God wants to reach them and that, that God has called us to, to love them and, and to reach them. And so what happens when we become a new creation, we get this new perspective that as we love God with all our being, we also learn to love others and our neighbor, how? As our own self. This is what goes on in the life of a new creation. When we live in that identity, man, we can't help but just start loving people around us, whether we like them or not. You follow what I mean, right? I mean, some people, maybe you find hard to like, but the truth is, as a new creation, 
when we see others through the eyes of Jesus, we grow in loving others and seeing the intricate value in those around us. So we have a new perspective of Christ. We have a new perspective of others. And I think also Paul relates to here that we gain a new perspective of ourselves as well. Look at verse 15. Look at Paul's perspective on his own living, his own life. He says, no longer do we live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us. The new perspective of a new creation is that my life isn't mine. I'm not here to fulfill all my ambitions and desires and goals in life. I am here for Jesus Christ. I belong to him. Amen. Our view of living changes. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus has bought me with his own blood. I belong to him. He is my Lord. And so I now live for him. And as a new creation in him, now I have these new desires. I I have these new attitudes in life. I have these new thoughts. I have these new actions and goals and values. Everything about living begins to change as I live in this identity as creation, a new creation in Christ. But not only does our perspective of living change, but also our perspective of dying changes. Look at verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 8. Paul talks here about this earthly tent that we live in, and and he says it's going to be destroyed. And if it's destroyed, we have this building in the heavens not made with hands. And he says in verse number two that we groan while in this tent. Anybody groan in here recently in your tent? You know, the aches, the pains, whatever, the, the knees getting fixed and replaced and the back aches and the, you know, all the doctor visits. I mean, yeah, we groan in this tent. And Paul says what? He says, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. He says in verse 6, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In verse 8, he says, we prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's a different perspective. That's a different perspective. You see, the world's perspective is, man, it's you, you win if you have the most toys, right? I mean, it's all about the here and now. Eat, drink, and be merry. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, hey, listen, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry because this is it for us. This this life is all we got. But he said Jesus rose from the dead. And so go out and live for him. You see, because we've been made a new creation in Christ, Uh, The way we we perceive ourselves and our life and even death and what all of that means from, from beginning to end, everything about our perspective of life and death is changing. As we know him and as we grow in a relationship with him, as we understand his word, it changes, doesn't it? It changes. And so, being a new creation, it means to, to have a new perspective three a new creation means a new person 
a new person. Look at verse 17. Here he contrasts between the old and the new. The old and the new. We find this uh, throughout the New Testament, right? We, we find about this old man, right? The original creation of God that was corrupted from, by sin in, in the garden. And the new, of course, refers to this new man, this new creation that's been created by God at salvation. So let me give you kind of a little general overview. The old person, in fact, I would, well, the verses are here on the, the, the screen um, behind me. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. It describes for us what life was like before we came to Jesus, before we were made this new creation. Paul says this about our spiritual condition, uh, of that condition of the old man, our old self before salvation. He, he does not say that we're dying, that we were dying. He says that we were, in, in chapter 2 and verse 1, we were dead in our trespasses. And sins. You see, the, the, the old man, our old self, that old person, that, that person we were before Jesus, that old man possessed no spiritual life. It could do nothing in and of itself to please God. And Paul goes on. He says, not only was, were we spiritually dead, but we were going the wrong way. In verse number two, it says that we were walking according to the ways of this world, right? Can you think back before Jesus? Can you think back to how you lived, what you were doing, what you were up to? You were living according to the course of the world, right? I mean, whatever the thinking of was the day, whatever the, the pleasures of the day were, we were living according to the course of the world. We're going the wrong way. We're also, we're also under the wrong control. He says in verse number two that we are living according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. There's a real spirit, the spirit of evil, the spirit of the devil that is working in the disobedient, those who are rebellious and away from God. And we were walking according to that power before we were made a new creation. And what were we doing? Verse 3, he says that we were following a sinful nature. He says, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, right? You with me? This is how we lived. Before we were made a new creation, man, whatever our flesh wanted, whatever sin wanted, whatever sin we wanted to be a part of, man, we would just dive uh, headlong into that sin. Peter, 1 Peter 4, 3 he says, for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Boy, that describes it, doesn't it? That describes life before we became a new creation. And Paul also says here in verse 3 that we were by nature children under the wrath, under, under wrath as others we're also. Look, here's the good news. God is fully aware of who we were. Amen. <laughs> he knew who we were when he sent his son. He knew all about it. There, there's nothing that you've done that if you took it to God and you say, hey God, you know, I, I, I've sinned, this is what I've done, that he's going to be like, <coughs> you're kidding. Oh, excuse me, boy, that sounded weird. Boy, I can't believe you did that. Where'd that come from? Why would you do something like that? 
God knows. He knows. He knows that we are dedicated to the cravings of our sinful nature, but he saved us from that. That was the old life. That was the old man. That's the past. You've been made. If you are a believer tonight, you are a new creation in Christ. How does the scripture declare uh, who this new person is? Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, he says, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. As a new creation, we can walk in this newness of life. I like how the late Adrian Rogers put this. He, he said this, he said, now, don't get the idea that we are, a, we are a kind of like a tadpole. And that tadpole goes from a form of metamorphosis until he becomes a frog. He says, oh, no. We haven't just gotten better and better. We are more like a frog that has been kissed and turned into a prince. That's what, we, that's what we're like. You see, we're not just better people. We are made brand new. And that is the spiritual supernatural work of God. That's what God has done to you. Are you a believer tonight? He's made you a new creation. What does that mean? It means, first of all, he's made you alive. He's, Paul writes this in Ephesians. He said that God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love that he loved us with, made us alive. So we were dead in sins. And when he made us a new creation, he brought us to life by his grace. And now Jesus lives in us. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what happens? Salvation, when we became a new creation of God, it brought regeneration at the new birth, that old nature of sin died, and we were reborn into a life of righteousness. Salvation brought that on. The grace of God brought that on. He made us alive. And so alive in Jesus as a new creation, man, we're all brand new. We have a new heart. We have new eyes to see. We have new feet to walk. We have new hands to work and a new voice to speak. I'm not talking about the, the physical aspect. I'm talking about the spiritual aspect of who we are in Jesus Christ. We're alive. We're also forgiven. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, you were dead in trespasses, but he made you alive with him and forgave all our trespasses. I love what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This is chapter 6. He said, don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or verbally abusive people, or swindlers will, swindlers will ever inherit the kingdom of, of, of God. And this is the part I love. He says, some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's just a beautiful thing. I mean, you could, you could list every sin out there, and you know what? You're going to find it somewhere in someone's past in the church. That's what we used to be. But we, bless God, we have been forgiven. Forgiven. 
washed clean. We also learn that we've been declared righteous. Paul says this, this is, this is in this chapter, if you're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse number 21, the last verse of the chapter. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a beautiful thing. That, that God declared us righteous, that, that the righteousness of Christ was imputed on us. In other words, God swapped our account of sin with the account of Jesus' righteousness. He swapped them. Jesus took our sin account, and he paid for it, and he gave us the account of Jesus' righteousness. And so now, in the view of God, if you are a new creation in Jesus Christ, he sees you as righteous. You know what you've done. But you know what? You've been forgiven. And as far as God is concerned, all he knows is the righteousness of his son who took your place and paid your debt. Woo! Man, this is what, this is what it means to be a new creation. It also means that we're free from sin. Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him (coughs) so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. That's a verse you might want to just mark in your Bible and memorize so that when your old flesh, your old body, you know, tries to to get you down and tries to, you know, uh, motivate you in the wrong direction, just remind it that it's powerless and that we're no longer enslaved to sin. You see, everything changes. I think a beautiful case story of this in the scripture is in Luke chapter 19, a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? The wee little man. Oh, the wee little man was he, right? Climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and the Lord passed by and, you know, said, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. And so that's what happened. And what happened to Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was saved. He was made a new creation. And what happened? His life changed in a moment. And here this guy who was uh, the chief tax collector, a cheat, right, Uh, a a man of greed, a man who had stole from countless people. These guys were the most hated people in town. Here was a guy who was forgiven, and you could tell right away because he's like, you know what, Lord, I'm going to fix all this. Everybody I've cheated, I'm going to pay them back four times what I stole from them. He was made a new creation, and he knew that he had been freed from his sin. And and so you could see in him this new beginning, this clean slate. What is better than a new beginning? Right? Leaving behind the pesky baggage that we've had to deal with in our past. We have been given a brand new start. We're not the people we used to be. Who are we now? Well, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's who we are. We are new creations. You know, I believe that it is up to us to take him at his word about who we are now. That's the part that's up to us. We have to know what God says about who we are and go with it. When sin, the old sins begin to, you know, 
come back into our mind and Satan reminds us of who we were, we need to remind him of who we are in Jesus. We can't think of ourselves in the old way. We're not to burden ourselves down with our past guilt. We are a new creation in Jesus. The old man has been crucified. And yet, and yet, at any moment, you and I can be living with the old man and not the new man. We all know what that's like, right? Just depends on whether that old man rises out of the tomb. You know how you can tell if the old man rises out of the tomb? Reminds me of when Lazarus, remember Jesus' friend, brother of Mary and Martha, he died and he was in the tomb for a couple days and Jesus said, take me to the tomb and open it up. Mary or Martha, they say, Lord, you sure you want to do that? He stinks. You know how you know when the old man has come back to life in your life? It stinks. It stinks. Your attitude stinks, right? The, 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 your actions stink. I mean, the words coming out of your mouth stink. In fact, if you really stop and think about it, you can identify it without your wife's help. It's like, man, I stink right now. That old man, is he's showing his ugly face. The old man is a stinker. By the way, in the church at Corinth, there were some stinkers. Paul's writing to a bunch of stinkers in the church, and he's like... You know, he's saying, man, you guys are still, go to, you go to the first epistle in chapter 3 and verse 3. He's like, man, you guys are still worldly. You guys are still carnal. You're still, you're still acting like stinkers. These were brothers and sisters in Christ. These were new creations in Christ, and yet they were living with the old man, not behaving like new creations. There was jealousy and quarreling and dissensions and factions. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. Where's all that come from? It doesn't come from the new creation. It comes from that old man that stinks inside of us. And if we're all honest, we all deal with it from time to time. But we need to recognize it. And we need to know that that's not who God created us to be as a new creation. Well, number four, a new creation means we have a new purpose. A new purpose. Look at verse 9. Paul says that we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Right? The old life, we were out for ourselves. It was all about pleasing ourselves. We were guided by our selfish interests and desires, our own ambitions. But in the new life, we now have as our aim to please the one who died and rose for us amen do you have a desire tonight to please Jesus is that your aim in life to honor him to glorify him you know in in one sense we are pleasing unto him positionally we are as declared righteous in Christ we are pleasing to him 
And I think what Paul is saying here, he's talking about the practical aspect of our life when he says, man, we, that's our aim. And I think if Paul, if that was Paul's aim, I think it's something for us to learn from that and to say, you know what, that should be my aim too in life. My aim, my purpose in life is not to please Dave Crichton. My purpose in life is to please him. A new purpose to please him and a new purpose to proclaim him. If you go toward the the end of the chapter. Paul talks about this. He says, this is verse 18, he says, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what is our purpose in life? It's to please God, and it is to proclaim his name. It is to proclaim his gospel. It is to proclaim his word. We've been given a message, and we've been giving a ministry. I think the greatest case study in this in the scripture would be the Apostle Paul, the guy writing this letter. In Acts chapter 26, he, he gives a story. He tells, he's standing before the king and he says, you know, he's telling a story. He's, he's witnessing, he's giving his testimony to a certain extent. He wants the king to know the change, the radical change that had happened in his life. And he talks about how before he knew Christ, man, he was doing everything he could in opposition to Jesus. And that he went to Jerusalem. He locked up saints, put them in prison. When Christians were put to death, he was in agreement, he says. He says he went into the synagogues and often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme the name of Jesus, and that he was terribly enraged at them and pursued them even to foreign cities. And he tells about the day that he was on the Damascus Road. Jesus appeared to him, revealed himself to him, and he told him on that day, he said, Paul, I have called you for a purpose. You, Paul, are going to be a witness of what you've seen, what you've heard from me, and what you're going to see and hear from me. He says, I'm sending you to open the eyes of those who are in darkness so they can turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan and that they might have the forgiveness of sins and share among those who have been made new creations. And Paul, later uh, to the to the Romans, he said, man, I am eager to preach the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. What Paul is saying is, he says, listen, king, I used to be this guy, but I've been made a new creation, and I have a message and a ministry, and that is my purpose in living now is to, is to preach Jesus. It is to do the ministry that Jesus has given me to do. In church, what I would say to us is, Let's follow that. 
Let's learn from that. Let's follow in those steps. Let's recognize that as a new creation in Jesus, we've been forgiven, we've been made alive. All of these spiritual blessings that we have, it's not so that we just sit around and live life as we please, but that we would fulfill the ministry that he's given us. Two next steps and we're done. Number one. Number one. When Satan reminds you of your past, remind yourself that your past is under the blood and you're a new creation in Christ. The past guilt, the the past shame that you had, don't dwell on your old sins. Dwell on the fact that you've been forgiven. Focus on God's work in your life. I think that the enemy would like for us to think that spiritual growth is an elusive dream. That living like a real new creation. Can't do that. The enemy wants us to believe that lie. But Paul would say in no uncertain terms, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The second next step would be to live in a way that reflects our identity as a new creation in Christ with consistency. To live that. To live a life that reflects who we are, who we are in Christ. Our life should reflect that. We, we, we call ourselves Christians. Literally, that means followers of, of Christ. Paul wrote this to the church in, in Ephesus, no longer live as Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Take off the former way of life. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. And so I wonder tonight, could it be that we are living unnecessarily enslaved to old things because the truth of being a new creation in Christ has never been given the weight it ought to bear in our life. We don't have to live in bondage to the old things. The God who is kind enough and strong enough to create us anew is equally committed to supplying us with the resources and energy to live a life consistent with who we are in Him. And so, let's live in a way that reflects that identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, the old has passed away, and see, the new has come.